Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with my longtime friend, Scotty Sandwich, of Sandwich Shop Studios, and also of Wolves and Wolves and Wolves and Wolves, and of Almost People. We talked about the Broadway's 1997 album, Broken Star, and dug deep into the lyrics of the album and the slapstick family tree that spawned Chicago bands like Lawrence Arms, Tuesday, and Alkaline Trio, just to name a few. Like I mentioned before, Scotty is now playing in Wolves, and I can't wait to hear new tunes from them in the near future on AF Records. Don't forget to check out our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash spanningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we listen to records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Honestly, you don't want to miss out, so please subscribe. Also, follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, and I hear reviews definitely help. Okay, let's chat with Scotty. Hey, Scotty, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, we haven't seen each other in like so long. Or fast think, last year. Was it last? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's where we avoid each other and then just give each other the middle finger as we walk yeah, by yeah. in opposite directions. Well, no, I went, I saw you guys. I went to your show last year. Mm. Uh, no, I, I showed up after you? your show. I showed up afterwards and pretended I was there. And I said you were like, you know, something you guys were really good. And then Scott was like, uh, what about that part where like everything fell apart? And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> And then yeah. I was like, I'm just, I'm not here to, and then I like, like I told the truth. I'm like, I'm just here to see totally slow. <laughs> oh yeah. They, oh, they did. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm like, almost forgot that I played fest last year. So, so yeah. Saw you last year. Yeah. Well, um, Scott Hicks tells me every day about it. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, do, I'm doing, I've been, I've been working on uh, pre-pro for their new record and uh, I'm helping them. I'm helping them make a record. Leave it at that. <laughs> well, uh, today we are talking about the Broadway's album Broken Star from 1998. That's actually the first question I have before we get into it. Yep. So some places I see that it came out in 98. Some places I see that it came out in 1997. I believe, I believe it's 97. Because I remember being 16 when it came out. So um, that would have been, yeah, it would have been 16 in 1997. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I don't remember. I mean, it's, it's, it's Asian Man. So uh, it could be like certain pressing came out. Um, but mm-hmm. I, as far as I remember, I remember having it my junior year of high school, so that would have been '97. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's like around this time frame, especially with like punk stuff. It was like, it it, yeah. it was definitely ninety. It was definitely '97 because Goddamn It came out in '98, mm-hmm. and that would have been the record that everyone was listening to instead of the Broadways at the time. Mm. Yeah, actually, I guess like okay, so. Then it, we kind of answered the question that I usually ask. Then, uh, when was the first time you heard the Broadways or this album? Um, it would have been well. The first time I heard the Broadways was in '96. Um, it was right after Slapstick broke up, and they had the first split, which was you know, um, three of them. No, two of them went to the Broadways, and then three of them went to Tuesday, um, who was also yeah. incredible. Um, but they both bands opened for. The Descendants on the Everything Sucks Tour at the Congress Theater um, with uh, Lesson Jake, Guttermouth, and uh, Handsome. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which was a, a really weird like lineup because Handsome is also incredible. But like 
just having Guttermouth in a band like this and Tuesday all in the same bill like made no sense. But yeah, was... Handsome kind of seems like the band out on that, uh, you know, like stylistically. But you know, yeah. But I mean, you know, knowing that those guys came from like Quicksand and stuff, um, you know, I think I think they were one of those bands that like didn't even though they're on a major, they didn't know like how to present themselves because like I saw them in that and I saw them like three weeks later opening for Silver Chair. So it's like, mm. I don't think they had like, like they didn't know what their aesthetic was going to be, um, yeah. which is sad. Cause like for like drop D like kind of, um, post grunge, whatever you want to call it music. Like it's one of the best albums that came out in that like genre. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel like with a lot of kind of like post hardcore of that type post grunge is a good term for it because it kind of allows there's i feel like there's a line for me mm-hmm. and then handsome's like the line like i love handsome but then usually when things are like right over the line there probably a little bit more singy and a little bit more like butt rocky then <laughs> then i'm a little hesitant yeah the, but they're like handsome they're like rules. they're like they're like the good deftone songs you know like because deftones also walks that line and a lot of the deftone stuff to me gets a little too aggro but then if you mm-hmm. listen to like white pony that one's really awesome and it's, you know, it's really thought out and not just like Chugga, 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 wah, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, even, like, I am not always sure, like, where into another fits. and <laughs> They kind of, like, yeah. <laughs> go over, and the, it depends kind of what mood I'm in. But Handsome always is okay in my book. You no, know? absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, like, so thinking about that, were you a big slapstick guy? Yeah, like, so slap, slapstick was, like, my, like, f- introduction to, like, local music and shows. I used to go see them at, um... There's a Nets Columbus Hall, like about a mile from my parents' house. So, um, about starting at 14 or 15, I would just skate up there every Friday and Saturday night, depending. Didn't care who was playing. There's because there was like pretty much shows every weekend. So, mm-hmm. just skate up there and to go see everybody. Um, I got to see like early Braid shows and like Captain, I saw Captain Jazz, um, like Ghost and Baca. Um, so it was yeah. like really cool. Um, and like especially in that like the neighborhood I grew up in, not neighborhood, but the, the suburb I grew up in, we were lucky because, um, like Bob Nana was from there. The Kinsella brothers were from there. Um, Steve uh, Lamos from American football grew up there. Um, so it was like a really, you know, like, and it's weird because everyone is so, all those bands are, well, I guess those bands are a little more close knit, but then like the next town over is where Baxter was from, which is Tim uh, from Rise Against and Neil from Lawrence Arms. Yeah. And then like two towns from that is like all the slapstick guys. Um, so it was like this, even though we were, not from the exact same suburb. It was all like this big communal, you know, like it wasn't, there wasn't the Chicago scene. It was like the, it was the Northwest suburb scene. Um, and oh, it's okay. like, I mean, like, and you know, Fall Boy was part, like they were, and they were I think we were in Race Trader and maybe. Um, yeah, Arma um, Angelus was before that, right? What? Arma Angelus. I think that was about the same time because I know um, Tim was also in that. Yeah. Um, Arma Angelus and there was um, Race Trader, oh, the Kill Pill was Joe's mm-hmm. band was really good. And I know Patrick played in uh, some crazy, gr- played drums in some crazy grind band. Yeah. I remember that. I can't remember their name, but I remember yeah, it being just like wild grind band. Um, yeah. Yeah. They definitely had <laughs> that kind of history. It's also interesting kind of thinking of it all as like a thing that was concurrently going on. Like those no. kind of scenes, like, you know, kind of meshing as they would have at that time more, especially. So, yeah. It's I, like, interesting. I want, yeah. It's the one thing I was talking with like younger bands I produce is like whenever they play shows, it's like I love the Menzingers, but I don't want to see a show with five bands that sound like the Menzingers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I really like growing up because we'd have a ska band, you know, a, a grind band, um, 
you know, like a screamo, like a heroin style screamo band. And then mm-hmm. like a fat record type band all in a bill. And it made perfect sense because we were all, we all listened to all that. It wasn't so um, categorized as yeah. it is today. Um, um, and like, it's really sad that like how much music that like people probably missed out on in the years because they were so, scenes have gotten so short-sighted on what it they want to do or what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I wonder if some of that kind of, as we got more into the kind of internet years, which I know have been like 30 years, um, but, you know, like at this point, it was like you didn't really live your life in the same way on the internet. So it's like... No, because when you have the internet, you, know, you have any... You want to you look... You want to look the part, or so you have to listen to the bands that are like concurrent to what the other cool kids are. So it makes... It makes you not want to experiment, and especially if you're a musician, it doesn't make you want to experiment with anything. Like, okay, this is what's going on. These bands are drawing ton. Like, I'm gonna do this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, which is cool here and there, but like, luckily we had the like the underground, like I don't know, like the fourth wave revival of Midwest emo or something in the last decade. And like, it's cool because like, like if, like I remember there was a time in probably 2008 through 2012 maybe where like if you listen to emo it was like it was like a joke the way like if you still listen to ska in 2000 was you know yeah Yeah, Um, yeah. these are the kids that were like actually going out and like doing like amazing stuff on guitars and you know there's drum beats i can't even find them playing and these kids are you know half my age and just destroying it and it's awesome yeah yeah i mean that kind of i know i'm jumping ahead a bunch but like i was thinking of like since everything kind of has cycles I'm like, when would we get like a return to this style of pop punk? <laughs> like, I haven't really hmm. seen it, like, come back around. You know, with like a younger generation. Yeah, and it's weird because you know, like, you know, you, even though you know, both of our bands are adjacent to like the, um, you know, like whatever you want to call it, the the org core scene or beer yeah, yeah. punk or punk news. There's the punk news bands with you know Lawrence Arms, For sure. Jillinger Four, those bands. It's like. Uh, you know, I think it, it gets me the biggest out of that, like, grouping of bands. But, um, you know, and, like, we have, like, our view on fest and stuff like that. But I don't know if it – I don't think it's ever gone away. Um, it just never got big. Um, yeah. And it's always kind of – you know, it's always been kind of just, like, every show, you know, the big bands sell 500 tickets a show. And it's never really changed. It's like, you know, like, Lawrence Arms has sold the same amount of tickets to shows for the past 15 years. Same with Dylan yeah. Four, you know. Um you know, Bouncing Souls numbers probably, probably have gone down a little bit, but you know they're they're consistent as fuck when it comes to any time they play shows anywhere. So, um, but I think that's also had something to be said about you know our genre and um, our community is that you know none of like none of these people are like out to be famous. You know, like if, yeah. if they would if they did, like we wouldn't have to wait ten years in between Dillinger Four records. You know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or, or longer, I guess, at this point. I'm like, yeah, but still... 2000, 2008 was Civil War, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, we're due for another, like, even at the rate that they turn around records, <laughs> I was like, seems like, well, their kids got to be, like, going away to college now. They can, you know, they yeah. got to be able to, like, well, I don't know. Patty has, like, seemingly younger kids, so I guess it's going to be about five more years until a Dillinger 4 record, maybe. <laughs> You know, but but yeah, well, like, I, 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 will, I will say I like I love Patty Death and I'm so excited because uh, I got to play on the Slow Death record. So I'm officially a Slow Death member now mm-hmm. um, and I play on two songs that he played on. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And like he's like one of my favorite bass players um, and just like and one of my favorite lyricists. Like you wouldn't expect someone who has that public persona of him 
to be like that eloquent in what they like write lyrically. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's, I think the, uh, well, I haven't seen any of his bands in a few years and I remember like how he was on tour and on stage and stuff, but even like from a social media perspective, it feels like he's definitely like soft in that persona, you know, some, but you know, having um, a family. When, I went out to <laughs> LA to, um, uh, record the digger set, um, at the hopeless records, 20 anniversary thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I guess his like at the time I was talking to him, he's like, Oh yeah. Like, I, like, we, like I've been taking shows seriously. I don't, I don't, I don't drink anything before, before we go on stage now. And it was like, and it was like the best show I've ever seen them play. Everything was super tight. Um, and then we have a, uh, I'm not going to name names. We had, we had a, we had a little buddy who was there with me, um, who ended up, uh, stuck in the bathroom with gutter mouth doing drugs and passed out on the floor when me and him were supposed to go see, um, but I, I was still working for, um, I heard media time and I had like, they had sent like an Uber to pick me up for me and him to go see Weezer, um, at, uh, the Staples center. Um, yeah. for the iHeartMedia Festival or something. But they had it so they they pick us up and then just drive us to like the back door, walk up and we can watch from the side of the stage and then they would take us right back so I can record the set. And then I couldn't find our little friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I I that's insane to me that like guttermouth dudes uh might still be partying as hard as like their <laughs> That's surprising like, you? Yeah. Like it's made to me it's just like well, okay, that makes sense. It's just like it just feels like it's like I don't know. It's like it feels like it, that kind of party thing kind of goes for you know a long time, but then something bad happens. <laughs> then yeah. so well, usually I mean, I people I, kind I, of I, like I, you know, I never chill. like knew them. Like I, I never really like, got into them much as a band. But I, I don't know. But it seems like it's it's one of the situations where it's like the singer and then like kids. Oh, so so, so, so like, maybe he doesn't go as hard, but he gets people that go hard. Yeah. So you know, but yeah. <laughs> But all right, so kind of thinking about this record specifically, um, as much as like kind of peripherally everything that we've all been into, when we picked this record, this was the first time I'd ever listened to it. Like, I now say, and like to really no discredit of Lawrence Arms, I, it's just a taste thing. I was never a big Lawrence Arms guy. Like, I don't know why. I like basically everything else that kind of goes around this. You know, like I, you know, I liked like, I liked Alkaline Trio. I liked Slapstick. I liked, you know, Tuesday and, you know, all those kind of things, early Rise Against and such. Mm. But I was like, and I feel like I've liked a lot of like pop punk. You know, I like like 15. I like Crimp Shine, but I don't know why I missed out on this one. You know? Yeah. Um, well, it's weird. You know, they, they were, it was a, such a short lived band. Um, you know, I think they got together in 96 and they were done by 98. Yeah. Um, you know they did they did a they did a seven inch then an EP and then this record, then they broke up, um, and then about in two thousand they put out a collection of like the, the first seven songs I think were supposed to be a split with Baxter, and then it was just the, the then it was that and then the the seven inch and the um, EP all on one CD. Yeah, um, but when they were around, they they only lasted you know two years and um, you know it's like it's it's like that you know like everything else that when you when no one was there when it was a thing and then when it's not a thing then everyone's like oh my god I, like i love it so much i wish i was there um but i remember seeing them and and brennan can test to it like they'd be if they headline a show like it'd be like 15 people like no one no one cared okay. like not even like for at first it was like oh it's the x slapstick band and then it just people just were like oh it's political and they're they talk too much you know in between um dan the guy 
the like the kind of out of key singer um he's also yeah he's the guy that went on to do um honor system after that um he would kind of not preach between songs but you know it it was very talky between songs it was very of the time yeah like what what the politics like politics were like i feel like this was kind of maybe a couple years after it but probably still in it in like the hardcore scene there was still that kind of that was that era of people sitting down at shows and then you know a lot of pamphleting and then that went into like the early to mid 2000s so yeah. this is in that range you know? yeah like they were they were very big into like the food not bomb scene and stuff like that you know like um you know like because of the because of this record that's what got me into 15 and crimp shine and all that mm-hmm. um you know like that stuff wasn't easily accessible to us you know at no. that time you know it's yeah. not like now um actually it's still really hard to find well, thankfully, um, what's uh, dead, dead broke? Dead broke is, dead, yeah, yeah. reassuring him. But yeah, but even before that, like I've wanted a copy of, you know, a choice of new generation for at least fifteen years. And when he reissued, I'm like, I don't care, it's reissue. I want it. I need it. Yeah, um, for a long time, I mean, it was like, I feel like what was accessible was Jawbreaker and Operation Ivy, <laughs> like that. Yeah. So I had it. You know, yeah. like I didn't hear Fifteen or Crimp Shine until years later because of like blogs you know like right. it was like anything you ever wanted you're like oh east bay let me find east bay everything you know and then <laughs> you know well so it's that funny because you know wild. it's funny too because like you know this record is very it's very you know east bay or you know influence i mean it screams jawbreaker but at time it's hilarious i got really in this record and my friend's like oh if you like this you have to listen to draw you have to listen to dear you because you'd love dear you and that's mm-hmm. after you know it was the year after the whole fiasco of dear you're coming out I was like, I listened to it once. It sounded like shit or something. Like, like it's not, it's not the same jaw record or something like that. And then, like, you know, now, like five years later, I'm like, oh wait, it does make sense now. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the time, you're like, oh no, this, this is my band, and it changed. It's not, you know, like, you know, sell out. The, you know, because back then, like, you can actually sell it now. I'm like, every day, I'm like going on my email. I'm like, hope Netflix sends me a thing so I can write a song for them today. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. So. What type of okay? So you said that you saw slapstick as well around. I mean, when they were around. Yeah. Uh, what do you feel like the shows were like for them, like attendance wise? Oh, uh, like uh, towards the end, it was you know like, I mean, um, I I can't speak for every show. Um, the 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 stuff at the BFW halls in like ninety five were probably seventy five to one hundred, which was big for yeah. you know for local bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they were getting bigger, I saw them. Um, um, and a bunch of uh, like Mike Park did um, the Misfits for Scott uh, shows in Chicago, and mm-hmm. with Su- and I saw them with the Suicide Machines, and that was you know huge because yeah. that was right when all those bands were blowing up. So, um, we- because I was too young to really like drive far, I didn't you know I, I don't think I even got my license until I was seventeen. Um, I missed out on a lot of the cool shows, um, but being, like I would I was able to go to like the Metro shows and stuff like that and see them. So I, I kind of got the bigger end of what the shows they were doing um and i went to one of the two um reunion shows in uh 97 it was 97 um they did the benefit for their friend who had passed away um which is the the dvd and stuff which and that show was just insane <laughs> like i think the i think the fire side's like official or the fire uh, capacity was like 200 and there was easily a thousand people in, in each one <laughs> Yeah, I've never actually been there. I guess I always thought that place was bigger. That's an interesting thing, I guess, going to... Like, anytime I go to big cities and then... Well, for me, big cities. Uh, well, Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I think of these places of, like, the hugest venues. I do the same thing when I go to New York, but if I go to, like, St. Vitus or something, I'm like, it's 
place isn't that big. Like it's it's kind of surprising. Like it's right. like it's not as big as kind of the stories have been made to tell as you go. So they're more. I'm more used to them have, because of the. Have, place have you I've have been. you uh, have you gone to or played at um Asbury Lanes? Uh, I've been to it, but also I think they did a remodel, so uh, I don't know. Um, I'm yeah. trying to think. So uh, the Fireside Bowl is like it's it was basically I want to say. It's probably it's probably about twenty lanes, so it's about half the size of like an, of like an AMC bowling alley. Okay. Um, and but they also they would they got they I mean like and they never cleaned or did anything, but um, you weren't able to stand on on the lanes, so they put up like those um, plastic um construction the orange construction fence. They put mm-hmm. that right where you would go to like step up to go throw the ball. So you're thinking about the like the, the basically the island before you walk down to bowl, like mm-hmm. where the chairs are. So just now turn sideways and only pick 20, you know, 20 lanes. I mean, it was probably, it was shorter than the distance at Motorco, which I think, I think I measured it once and the front door to the stage is a hundred feet at Motorco. So it was shorter okay. than a hundred feet. So, and very and, was, narrow. And, and then like, you know, maybe, maybe 12 feet across. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So. No, it's, 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 so. it's oh, tiny. Yeah. It's, it, and the thing is like, it always looks big. Cause um, if you look at um like on YouTube and stuff, there's always like someone filming those shows. Where they're filming is he's that um, that person was standing on one of the on one of the benches. Yeah. So, but it was like, it's weird because it, it looks like it's far away, but it literally like was maybe like he was probably five feet from the stage. Uh, okay, and I guess because it's kind of narrower, then it goes back a little further than kind of a normal venue would. So it kind of gives that depth. Depth. If yeah. it's like, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting to get some context with that, but. Okay, so whenever Slapstick broke up, um, so basically half of that band formed Broadways. Yep. And uh, that was, uh, what, Brendan and Dan, correct? Yep. Okay. And then, uh, so then the other half went on to form Tuesday? Tuesday. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, so the, basically the, the rhythm section formed Tuesday. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, Dan Adriano was playing bass, so he played bass in uh, Tuesday. Matt Samps, guitar player, and then... Um, uh, Rob Kellenberger played drums. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, um, and like the free wheel also is an incredible record, but that was more like they kind of went into like a route of like, pre- I mean, the first the record kind of remind me of like the promise ring, mm-hmm. like free wheel and like three degrees everywhere to me are like hand in hand. Like I got them both like the same day, but, um, but sonically it's very similar where um, um, the Broadway's like one more on the jawbreaker 15, you know, like, side of things yeah yeah so did you ever get to see tuesday around that Mm -hmm. time okay Uh, and so i feel like from my perception of them they're also like another band that kind of didn't get their due you know they they weren't around like that long but it's like do you feel like they were drawing well it was about the same it's actually funny because both the bands will play together um there's an awesome there's an awesome bootleg on um youtube from a show at record breakers which was at the time that was like the big suburban record store um but uh, i went to that show and it was, that show was awesome uh, it was baxter who opened mm-hmm. then tuesday and the broadway's headline and to this day i still give brennan shit because in the second song of the broadway set he goes to sing and knocks over his mic and i pick it up and he doesn't say a word to me he doesn't say thank you or give me like a nod or anything so every time i see him i have to give him shit about it well that feels like classic brendan that feels like mm-hmm. what you would want to happen with an interaction with Brendan. He, he, once again, going for personas too, it's like, you know, like his public persona and him as a person are so opposite. It's weird. Like, 
like he is one of the best fathers I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, I feel like he gets like a bad rep because of how he acts when he's out in public at shows. Um, but I think what people don't under, and it's still his prerogative to act how he wants, but when he's doing those things or when he's out, that's like his vacation. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, um, and which, you know, arguably like you still got to behave yourself or you, know, you, you said you, whatever you do, you do. But, um, um, you know, in real life, he's not. And I think some of it is, um, I think some of it's kind of like a put on too. Cause he's like, Oh, I'm the guy that falls down on stage. Should I drink too much or something? You know? Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't think that's who he really is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've spent, I haven't spent a ton of time with him, but, um, when he came down for the old Hill record release show, um, he stayed at my house for a few days and we just had really like awesome conversations about like, you know, his kids and like what, what it's like, like having a, like raising a family and stuff like that. Um, and it was, it was like this surreal moment. Cause it's like, wait, like, but you're like, you're that guy, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- kind of like how, you know, I was like saying like, I don't feel like this style of pop punk or even like a little bit more like palatable version of it. Haven't really come back around. Also, another thing that feels to be dying is the idea that people have personas. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's like people had personas. Like that right. was like a that was like a thing in so many bands that I feel like mm. people don't really do that hard anymore. And if they do it, they're probably a guy that has just kept doing it. Yeah, like you know? Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it's like I don't. You know, sometimes they kind of become their shtick, like almost like an action star in a way. Like it's just mm. like oh, I blew up a bunch of things in a movie, so now I think I could actually do that. You know, like Mark Wahlberg and the 9-11 thing. You know, like, it's like you eventually just, like, think you're that person, you know? But 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 in that same regard, it's like, I don't think, I don't think Brendan Kelly probably thinks he's that person, you know? Like, you know, and no, if and you like, were if saying you, that, If you ever you read his blog that. and stuff, you know he's not. I mean, he's very, I mean, he's, uh, he's, I think he's got, I think he's got an English degree. But he's got an English degree from fucking Northwestern. You know, this is not someone who is not smart. You know, you know, like he's very, very well spoken. Um, yeah, I am not. <laughs> yeah, that's why I look. Up, you know, like that's why I look up to him and stuff. Um, which is funny person to look up to. But um, you know, um, but you know, I said like I think I don't know if it's an embarrassment because you know, like we, when we were coming up, you know, like you know, like he he's got three or four years on me. So like I I'm part of that last generation that was still like. Like the last generation before, like Tony Hawk and Hot Topic, you know, and Warp Tour. Yeah. Like yeah. I went to the first Warp Tour in Chicago, you know, when it was like three bands or four bands, you know. Um, so it was not. It was before it got commercialized, you know. So. For sure. Um, I think that for people like me and him, there's probably still that like vulnerability of the weird kid who um didn't know how to fit in or whatever. Um, that's why you got into the the music in the first place. Um, yeah. So you were always going to put up kind of that shield. And I think his shield is Brendan Kelly, the character, and not Brendan Kelly, the person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a time where, like, you know, like, if you're saying, like, you know, some of the kind of more locally shows were, like, 50 people coming out. Like, this wasn't, you know, Brendan Kelly or Lawrence Arms that it is today. Like, this mm-hmm. is a totally different thing that's, like, more kind of, like, without quotes punk. And that's, like, an interesting thing, too. I feel like so much, like, hardcore, so much like even pop punk is kind of removed from punk. And I know that's just so much time has passed, but it's like, this feels like a real punk band. They're talking about like social political things. And this is like the, the type of stuff I was getting into and kind of going back to what you were saying, like 
for some reason, I feel like I think it's just because of like what my brother was bringing home. I got mm. more into stuff like this, and I could have easily like I'm I'm of an age that I could have just gone Warp Tour, yeah. But I was like, I just it's just sheer fact of what my I guess older friends and siblings were kind of like introducing me to, but I could have just went all like completely like real big fish or something you know like whatever no, absolutely. I, 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 I think the same for me you know like growing up in that scene that i was part of um you know i said it was a lot of like you know food about bombs and you know ara and um stuff like that so um luckily there was bands that were teaching me about social social political problems within our communities um like someone with that i was talking to um um kyle the drummer of all those people about doing the podcast He's like, I, it's really weird that you picked that record and not like, um, like let's talk more rock. And I was like, it's a, it's a great record, and the and the lyrics very are very close um, on the sentiment. But the reason that Broken Star meant so much to me is because these guys are based in Chicago, and there's a lot of like, you know, like there's so much base around the Chicago politics. Like when we get, you know, we start talking about songs, you know, um, uh, police song is about, you know, they, they go into like, I like when they say the. Um, 52nd precinct. I already know what that is. There was a huge scandal where they were like, like not okay. reporting hate crimes and rapes and stuff like that, you know? Um, and so it's like being able to see it on the news and, and then see someone singing about something I just actually saw that was within my community. Um, it made it a little more um, like relevant for me to pay attention than something just like, I'll burn your goddamn flag wherever I damn well please, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was like a low, like a regionality a lot of times a lot of music had like i remember even like uh the band rambo had like so much kind of like local pennsylvania politics in their songs like you know like uh it would just be like people were like who's that person and then you you kind of like do a little digging and you're like i think that's a council person like <laughs> you know like city council member like what the fuck like i feel like there's some of that unless i just don't know like people's names that's interesting you say about police song that it actually is something really local and then like i'm like oh i guess like you know upton or like who is yeah. like jonathan kozel and then like yeah. who is larry kosh i mean we can get into yeah. it um and i guess usually we don't really talk track to track but i would no. like to know like if there are specific notes and i guess starting at track one i mean so track one i mean uh, so i i had already gotten into them from the um the seven inch in the ep but um mm -hmm. 15 minutes like that's kind of the I hate saying single. Um, but that was the one. That was the one that Mike Park put on all the compilations when people okay. would be like, if for those who are you are young, there used to be like C these things called CDs and labels. You put out comp they, labels. You put out compilations, give them out for mm -hmm. free at like shows and Warp Tour and stuff because they would get you into more bands. It's kind of yeah. like a Spotify playlist, but um, and some of my favorite some of my favorite releases ever are just compil. I mean, like. Um, Bad music for sorry, not, uh, survival of fattest is like hands down one of the greatest compilations mm -hmm. ever. Like pieces of music ever put to a disc or a record. But yeah, anyways, like um, the, you know the early like punkoramas and like hopelessly mm -hmm. devoted to you like two and then the go kart samples like they were yeah. to me they were like way that I could because I didn't have money as a kid. You know, no. uh, one just being poor. Two, I didn't have a job because I was you know thirteen. Mm -hmm. uh, but like. You just kind of got into that, and then you could get into like fifty other bands, you know. Oh, yeah, like, like I, I used to love. You know. I, I I remember. Uh, well, but I, 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 on the first Warped Tour, they didn't really have like the circus around it, like they mm -hmm. had, had, had to come. But I remember ninety seven through ninety nine. Every year I went, I would just go to every single label tent because they would all they would have plastic baggies, and the baggie had like one or two comps, stickers of every band, like a zine and a, um, 
a catalog, everything. And I just go table to table. And then when you get afterwards, you have, you know, 10 new CDs and stickers of every band that's on those CDs. And it was like the coolest fucking thing. It was like, I it, just give me this for free. And, you know, you know, now it's like we can hire a marketing company to market a band. But that's before. That's how you marketed. You're like, here, here's a compilation. Hope you like something on it. And more times than not, you like more songs than you didn't like on a compilation. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, anyway, so yeah, 15 minutes was like kind of like the one that they, or them or Mike Park decided that was going to be like the push song. Um, and it's it's a great sentiment of the song, you know, like um, it's really easy um, to kind of like walk around your life and be complacent about the things around you. And I like that. Um, I think for a lot of people, even people who like don't want to admit that they're bored or want more for themselves or for their family or for anything um it's just a really nice like wake up call where like towards the end he's like um what if i'm the one that's crazy he's like i'm not crazy i'm just frustrated it's like it's such a great line it's you know like you know we've all have had those moments where like what am i doing if i if I, what am i doing with my life right now is that the right thing this is what is this what i should be doing is this actually making me happy or am i just doing this because um as a society i need to have a corporate job and do this um because that's what my parents did or that is what's expected of me yeah um and i think you know i said like that resonated to me when i was 17 and it's you know it made sense um you know um i, I don't know it's, it's been a while since i've been to charlotte but uh, i know i've had a, a couple traffic jams going to charlotte but it's nothing like chicago traffic like chicago yeah. traffic yeah. i was i lived seven miles from downtown or like not downtown but like the city and that seven mile drive would take about an hour and a half <laughs> So yeah. it gives you a lot of time to think. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not that bad. I mean, I guess also, um, I'm, I work from home now, luckily. So, so I'm kind of like, I'm forgetting, but anytime I, I go into the office, like I have that feeling it's like 30 minute drive, but yeah, like I get tricked by it all the time. I'm in a big city. I'm like, Oh, it's only, you know, three miles down the road. That'll take, <laughs> you know, what? 10 minutes. <laughs> and then you're like, fuck <laughs> kind of thing, you know? So, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that every, every time we play uh, Jersey or um, uh, Philly, we always go stay at our friend's house who lives like um, it's a Pennsylvania address, but it's um, it's like outside, it's outside of Philly. And we figured uh -huh. out if we leave their house by seven o'clock in the morning, we can beat we'll beat the D.C. traffic, the Baltimore, Baltimore traffic, D.C. traffic and Richmond traffic is. But if, we, if you leave 10 minutes later, then you're stuck for like four hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um yeah, and I guess, like, one of the things that kind of hit me with this um, was just, like, how, like, for the type of bands that were around this time frame, like, when you kind of compare them to Jawbreaker, like, Broadway's weren't really a kind of verse-chorus, verse-chorus kind of thing in the same way. Like, it's it's kind of more like those socio-political lyrics kind of, like, almost, like, build to a point more yeah, than, it's, like... Yeah, it's very, it's, it's very you know. linear. Um, and I, I, um, there, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of Chicago bands. Um, I don't know, I know for one of them is Oblivion, and Brandon, if you've ever listened to interviews, like, that, that's both of our, like, favorite local bands. Mm -hmm. Um, and Oblivion is just incredible. But they were a very linear band like that. And then my, like, my other favorite, like, local band from that time was called, uh, God's Reflex, who was kind of, um... Um, if, if you took like Jawbreaker, but then like made them sound like mineral, oh, wow. um, um, but, and they were, they were big, they were huge into like not having choruses. It was, you know, like when they, he, you could tell the keys like wrote the lyrics and then wrote the melodies and the whole song was written around whatever that is. Um, yeah. and I think that was a very Chicago E thing to do. I mean, Naked Ray Gun, you know, 
dives into that. Um, um, obviously, you know, Brandon, Captain Jazz, Captain Jazz, especially, you know, um, I, I, I don't know if it was by um, any sort of um, thought process, but I think, and I don't know, like going back to like Dillinger 4, I think that like, you know, being from like, you know, the, you know, middle-class suburbs, these are people who are writing music, uh, even in their teenage years, who were going to, even though it's public schools, these are heavily funded private uh, public schools. Like my public school, I got sent to Austria in when I was 17 um, for orchestra and I played at the Music Verein, which is like been around wow. for 500 years, where at least where Mozart used to like show his yeah. stuff, you know, like that's not something a, a person with a public education normally gets. Um, yeah. So I think we were really lucky because um, of where we were growing up that we had, um, access to uh, better education um, without even knowing it. You know, like I, like I, t I completely took it for granted. I was a shitty student. Um, um, but like when I talk to my friends now, like where they grew up or like my friends who are teachers and they're like, I have a friend who's a teacher down in um, Smithfield. And he's like, and this, hearing him talk about just the lack of anything. I was like, yeah, you know, you don't realize what it is. Cause you just, when you're growing up, you just think that's how it is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so, um, it, you know, I think a lot of the, um, the, um, intelligence in, um, I mean, instead in, as a whole for Chicago punk rock is just having a good educational system that I don't think any of us really realized at the time. <laughs> no. Yeah. I feel like anytime I've tried to write like political lyrics, it just feels like, like, it feels like it comes out like I hate oil or something, you know, like, yeah. it's like, like, yeah. it's like, I know the sentiments and I agree with them. Like, I feel like I am like a politically minded person. But if I have to kind of articulate it in the way that like even these songs do, which I, you know, I don't even think they're like up there with kind of later. They're not as hard to digest as like later propaganda lyrics. Like they're yeah. still the idea is digestible. It's sort of like to articulate like how they do in these songs. Like you're more familiar with the lyrics with it. Like it's, it's still a step beyond where I go. I am, like I said, I'm more like, I hate. Well, I, I think, I think, I think what resonates with me in this record and the reason I, you know, it resonates more with me with someone like this band than, you know, anti-flag or propaganda or even some rise against stuff is that when you're listening, when you're like reading the lyrics or listening, they're, they're not just saying fuck the government. They're they're, yeah. they're telling you what they what they went through or their friend went through and how it's making how that thing is making them feel, you know, emotionally because of the politic behind it. You know, it, like, you know, it's um it's not I mean, it's not far off from like an emo song be like, "Oh, this girl broke my heart. This girl broke my heart these, these ways." Um they're like, "Oh, like the government broke my heart and ruined me because of this." You know. Yeah, that that's a good way of putting it because it does um yeah, it does make it more emotional. Like, and I think the linear, the way where I see this being referenced, and now it's kind of older, but when I think about like Ladder Man, you know, yeah, exactly. they did that a lot. You know, they'll talk about things, and that's where I was like, oh, it's not that I didn't know about gentrification, but it's like kind of hearing it in a song. And for Ladderman being more verse chorus verse chorus, it's like mm -hmm. the next step. It's like, oh, I totally understand it, and you are able to give me a big chorus with it. No, you and, know, like, so, and, what, and what's awesome yeah. about Ladderman, I I, I, I was uh, when we were working on an old school record, I, I talked to Johnny in great depth about like lyric stuff. Is like what made Ladderman so communal is if you go back and look at the lyrics, there's very little eyes or use. It's mm -hmm. us and we's. You know, mm -hmm. um, and something uh, something as simple as, as that two letter word changes <laughs> a whole feel of or the changes the whole idea of what a phrase is going to be, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, it. but doing that, when you say I or you, it, you're making it about yourself or you're making it about someone else, mm -hmm. you know, or you, you make you direct. You, if you say you, you're directing at a single person. 
Um, and Latterman works so well because of the we's and us. It's like, yo, we're all in this together. You know, we need to look out for each other, you know, yeah, um, stuff like that. Um, and I think that is a very, um, this is a very important thing um, that doesn't really get like addressed um, in music or like, you know, or I, I think people who get it, get it. Um, but I think a lot of political music these days could um, benefit from more of that. Yeah, I also think that there's kind of a thing that, you know, it's not even a political thing. Like, I've tried to think about it and even just kind of contextualize it when I'm writing lyrics. Like, there's a lot in, like, emo or emo-adjacent thing that's like a relationship thing. And since usually music is predominantly men, then it sort of becomes like, uh, my girlfriend did this to me. Even if they're articulating it a little smarter than that, that still is the context of the music. So I feel like it's like I, when I try and write lyrics, I try and think of like my perspective in the sense of like, Oh, well maybe I did this, you know, like try and like take some ownership back. And it's not like I'm the first person who thought of that, but it's like, it makes it complicated when you think of like male centric lyrics, kind of putting that down. Then you're like, you are doing that for women you know, so kind of using that same sort of thing and then kind of talking about like issues in your life that aren't just relationships. It is an interesting thing to kind of like another easy way that I've done it is like even just try and take out like uh, any pronouns and not yep. like it for any specific reason other than the generalization kind of lets it someone feel it more. Hopefully that's what yeah, I hope. I, and so I uh, think the we's and us is like you said, you know, no, exactly. I, I've, I can't remember. Um, I, I was listening to something the other day from, you know, back in the nineties emo days. And it's, it's like, it's like, she's did something. It's like, what was kind of like, well, shit, like you have a whole new demographic. You just changed that to they did something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, and it's weird looking, you know, like, um, you know, these are not things that we thought about, you know, fuck almost 30 years god damn i'm fucking old um you know uh, almost 30 years ago um but i love that um i love like i love that it's coming to the forefront and there's a whole new generation of like bands and kids getting into punk rock who are addressing these issues in a way that is like they're verbalizing the way that they want to be treated which is amazing you know um you know when i was coming up you know like i was in the, the political stuff but like outside of us beating up some nazis that shows um there wasn't a lot of like proactive social stuff going on outside of like food, not bombs and like ARA, which is a ra- uh, anti-racist action. So, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, and that's, that's just easily fucking, you know, upper white class cis male yeah. privilege stuff that like made us feel important. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not that we didn't care or want, didn't want to do more. It's just, that's the community we knew um, mm-hmm. um, because as much as punk rock's, says it's you know inclusive to everything um it really isn't um i had a i always talk about um this new wave of like even just you know like um the new wave of like major label artists putting out pop punk records who are super fucking amazing like i don't know if you listen to demi lovato at all but her new record holy fuck is it could have been a fucking liz fair record like Mm, um like the stuff that she sings about it like it, it it would like it, it it it's so much more um I hate using the term feminist but it's so much more feminist than like Kathleen Hanna like and I love Kathleen Hanna but like there's a song called Twenty Nine and it's about um the um the actor that plays uh Fez on that seventy show and it's about him grooming her when she was seventeen and he was twenty nine 
and it's it's fucking insane to like hear. I mean, it's dark and it's um it's very non censored, you know. Uh, and so for having a major level artist to be able to do that and um that's kind of like you know whenever like, you know like when Anaphylaxis like oh we're on a major so we can like break the system or take the system up from the inside it's like well you kind of did but not really and then like you then you have Demi Vada who's like Disney superstar doing it like yeah I think her t- you know like there's one song where she just embraces her sexuality and talks about like giving dudes blowjobs at the Viper Room and stuff it's like yeah you know I think that's an empowering thing that um this is what should have happened in 96 like after like you know, Hole and Brooke Assault and Liz Fair, but instead, you know, probably some dudes at the record label were like, "Oh, these girls are getting too like angry and too powerful. Let's go, uh, let's go uh, do this new metal thing, like that Fred Durst guy. Let's get the yeah. dude, let's get white dudes angry again." You know, um, so you know, right when the whole, you know, like, but it, it, you weren't there for it, but like, like you know, when they did like Lil Fair, Lil Fair um, on paper is fucking incredible. It's all these, yeah amazing fucking songwriters and powerful songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened was, is that the media started making it this like, Oh, it's like these little prissy lesbian girls are going to have some fun. Like, um, and you could tell that they like, I don't know if they mark, I don't know if it was like, a, a, I don't know if it was a smear campaign that was directed from a certain place, but you could tell, cause I mean, there's, there's a fucking Fiona Apple and the Indian girls. And like, um, these are, these are women who are, arguably some of the greatest songwriters of that generation who are mm-hmm. getting like shit on just cause they're a female. Oh yeah. It was like really bad in hindsight. And I think what people say, and it's like, I hate to kind of use them as the example of what, what people have kind of said is like stuff like spice girls essentially took the riot girl movement and kind of made it. They like took the themes, lifted it out of the actual politics and just kind of made them slogans. And so I think it, you know, kind of uh, so, allowed so it to be marketed. I, I, I yeah. absolutely agree with that. But uh, So if you look at the timeline um, before that happened, before Spice Girls happened and Britney and Christine and all that, you had that. And that's when, right, right when that was happened, that's also when they slipped, you know, um, Limp Bizkit into the fold. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then right after that, you slipped, uh, you slipped Blink-182 into the fold. And then you have pop stars again all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, because all that happened in like right at like the little fair was 97 and so 98 is when all that stuff started like popping and i um, think you know to two i think what kind of what also set kind of any social politic thing back a ton for so many years honestly was and i feel like i bring it up every uh, episode but 9-11 like i feel oh, like absolutely. you know like in 2001 like essentially it was just like you if you know. said if you said anything <laughs> anything negative at all, like you're like a you know the Dixie Chicks thing, and like oh, yeah. and, you know it's like because they were you know a product of that kind of like moving the needle forward, you know, on that on a mainstream scale, mm-hmm. but essentially you know they were basically blacklisted or not even basically they were blacklisted. They were yeah they absolutely yeah. Were. and so I think like it changed the needle on you know punk rock so or even just with mainstream culture you know like it became like you just didn't question like it's interesting to even think about like you know like strike anywhere or like uh deceperados and things like that like coming out in like 2001 but that you know it's like the, the climate i remember was essentially you stood up and for the pledge of allegiance or you got your ass kicked and in ways we didn't because we were like punk kids but like 
Do you remember the, the first thing you had to memorize? You know, like Pledge of Allegiance, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's a joke because it's the, was it the, third, the second song. Yeah, but yeah, I guess even like <laughs> sorry about that. So so once so I guess with that, so that's clearly what that song's about, just like about learning the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so I mean, that's I mean, it is interesting to think of because it's like. I, I feel like there's like a Christian flag one too. I remember like having to learn. I don't remember it, but it's like, yeah, it's just one of the first things that you're kind of like told to remember yeah. is that. Um, yeah, I, I, like, um, I, I never heard, I never heard about the Christian flag, but uh, I remember, I remember in sixth grade, um, it was before I really knew what like atheism actually was. Um, but um, there was a, there was a kid in my class whose family was actually atheist and uh, he wouldn't stand for the, he wouldn't stand for the flag, and like at the time we like made fun of him because we didn't like you know I said I was sixth grade so I don't know you were ten or something like I yeah. didn't under, I, I didn't understand what you know what was going on or anything I still feel bad to this day because if I would have learned that there was no God when I was in sixth grade a lot like a lot of things would have been no I learned there's no God a long time ago but uh, I got kicked out of Catholic school in kindergarten so yeah that's a whole different story yeah but I guess day. so that kid I guess like. Yeah. That kid was waved. He yeah. was waved for all our time. That kid rules. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like he probably, I assume, might have had like parents at home that were like, "Hey, you don't have to." You know, they were. Yeah. Just, they, I would have assumed, or this kid yeah. was like totally radical. No, yeah, like, no. His, like I know his. I, I don't. I, I can't remember his name, but his, his dad was actually um, a journalist and a um, and a um, an author um, who had authored some like really good books on religion, and um, he was one of the guys that took down um, or not took down, but. Um, one after Cardinal Burdenstein in, in Chicago, that who was, was one of the DSCs that did a lot of shitty stuff back in the yeah. 90s. Like, I, I grew up in a church where I feel like I don't even know if I knew anyone that was, like, Democrat. Like, yeah. I feel like everyone I grew up with was right-wing, or either they just didn't talk about it. You know, they, I remember there being, like, one pastor where someone kind of jokingly said, you're like, oh, are you a Democrat to the guy? And, you know, and he kind of laughed it off. And I, I don't know, but it's like, I assume growing up in like uh, Chicago, like potentially that's flipped because I grew up in North Carolina. So I feel like it's like, for the most part, most people I knew, like parents wise or teacher wise. Yeah. In hindsight, um, they seemed Republican. Yeah, yeah it's weird. Um, you know, like um, my my family, um, my family's um, half is well, half does half stick, stick with. Catholicism and half is um, Lutheran or something, um, but they're but they're also but they're all Democrats and and like very liberal leaning Democrats. Um, so I think I, I think it's all a product of environment. And you know, um, you know, Chicago is a heavily Democratic city to begin with. Yeah. Um, Illinois as a state, not so much, but because you know having the majority in Chicago, I'll be you know a lot of our stuff that gets voted for has always been voted democratic yeah kind of yeah like city areas um, tend to be like you know i grew yeah. up kind of more suburban and kind of country and like well beach town but in Wilmington, north carolina so it was like just felt like maybe if i had grown up closer to like raleigh then i would have seen a lot more of that because when i moved to charlotte definitely saw more of like oh there are people that you know you felt like you were the minority as a kid liking punk and kind of having i don't i mean i would say leftist yes it's leftist politics but as a kid i was just like oh you know blank blank well, like, you know? I, like when i when i when i moved out of chicago um in uh 2002 i moved to arizona and it, 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 there was a little it was my biggest culture shock was that they didn't have unions 
Like, in, like I don't, I, I've, I've been, I haven't worked in Chicago for years, but like my buddies in high school worked at the grocery store and they had like a bag boy union. And there was like, a, <laughs> like, like, like everything. Cause Chicago is a very union friendly city. Yeah. Um, um, so it's like, you know, it's like amazing that people were at grocery stores, like were part of union. So I moved to like, uh, Arizona and Arizona is a right to work state. And so I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna get a job. Like I'm like, what am I gonna do? And I like went to interview someone. And it's like, I can't remember what the minimum wage at the time. Like, Oh, we'll give you like $7 an hour. I'm like, I'll just stay home today. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's such a interesting thing to think. Cause I feel like in my life, it's like now I feel like the importance and for a long time, I guess as, as I'm speaking, I know the importance of unions, but as a kid, it was like, I feel like I was indoctrinated with the idea that like unions are a waste of time and they'll just take money out of your pocket was what I was taught. You know? <laughs> my, like, my best job, my, my, my first job out of high school, I was doing um, uh, playground um, uh, maintenance for a park district and that's 18 years old. And, like, and this is 1999. They started my, my starting salary was $62,000 a year with full benefits. That's a while. <laughs> yeah, like I'm cool with unions. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, if if I say they're gonna, also it's like mandatory reserve. If I would say I, I did the math a couple of years ago, like I think I did it in 2018. But if I, in 2018, I did the math. If I would have stayed there, I'd be making like 175 thousand dollars a year or something. That's wild. I mean, yeah. you know, sh- Chicago prices being what they are, but then again, no, it's not yeah. like Raleigh prices are. You know, no. it is more. But I remember telling somebody like that lives in Seattle like what I bought my house for because they wanted to know. Uh, and then I told them and they were like, fuck you, <laughs> you know, cause like they, they basically would never be able to buy a house in the Seattle area. You know, I would assume the same thing is in Chicago. It's impossible. Well, it's like, yeah. well, that's like in Durham, like, um, you know, like, uh, like that's the reason I moved to, uh, up to Oxford. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, um, I don't know if you know the whole story, but, um, short, short side of the story is that the neighbor we had, um, at the house we built in Durham, um, tried to poison our dogs and it was like a whole news story. Um, yeah, and she actually, po- she actually, um, like the, the the neighbor on the other side actually had two dogs who had died. That's how we found out about it, and so we just didn't feel comfortable living there. Um, but because of like how the um, triangle has grown so much, like we couldn't afford like an equivalent house. Like we'd have to like, I don't know, our house wasn't like big. I mean, it was I think it was maybe twenty two hundred square feet, and but it was on like, a, like less than a quarter of an acre. You know, like yeah. Um, and we, we sold it and we got a really good price for it. And we started looking around like, well, we can't move anywhere in Durham unless we want to like majorly downgrade. And so we started looking out uh, like outside of that. And then, um, we started looking at like Burlington and Mebane and stuff like that, but that's all been built up now because of Hillsboro. Um, mm-hmm. so we're like, well, let's go North and see if we can find something up North. And we found this, it was like, we walked in this house and we did the tour and it's like, nope, this is the house. Like part of that was like, we wanted to put the studio in the house and it's that way. I wasn't like paying out space on two places. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Then we, we walked through is like, Oh, it's fucking perfect. But like this house, this house in Durham is like easily $700,000. Yeah. And we yeah, got it for, I, we got it for under three here. So yeah. like basically you know. like when we moved here within a year of living where I live now, we wouldn't have been able to afford it. Like I love that we're talking about. Fr- I love that we're talking about my posh house. But they're gonna be like on a record. It's like talking about like homeless people. <laughs> well, that I think it's an interesting uh, kind of thing. I mean, I know we're hitting it from like an older standpoint, but I think like this record and then like records like this kind of talk about these aspects a lot, a lot. And it's like when we're talking face to face, it's like we talk about these things like that are like 
when I when I just said like you know I couldn't afford to live in my you know and I feel like I'm doing I'm doing fine but I wouldn't be able to afford the neighborhood I live in now and yeah. to think about even like a lot of the aspects like uh, the type of politics that they talk about they're like talking about these things you know in mm. however, however many years more than twenty years ago that's like so like like as I said this is my all time favorite record well it, it's my second all time favorite record my first one's appetite for destruction but. I give that to someone. Yeah, I can talk about Guns N' Roses all day, but um, but I thought this was a much more important record to talk about. Um, and when I went back and uh, I was kind of I listened to it the last couple of days just to not that I I listen to it like twice a year these days. Um, but just kind of refamiliarize myself. And uh, when I was like going through and just listening to stuff, this came out in '97, and not a single thing has fucking changed. And yeah. that's the fucking saddest part about the record. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, like just like looking at song title, like 15 minutes, you know, 15 minutes we already talked about. Um, everything I ever wanted to knew about genocide, I learned in second grade. That one's just, I found out later on, like I was listening to Brendan Kelly's podcast and it's, it's a, it's a hilarious song about Thanksgiving, but apparently it was like, that, that was him trying to write a joke song. <laughs> um, but I, I love, I love the, like the, 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 like the big chorus at the end is like, um, Australia is a piece of shit floating in the Pacific buoyed by the blood of the Aborigine. Like, yeah. You know, like that's a, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a little propaganda, but you know, like, yeah, it's a, it's a big like idea. Like I'm like, you know, especially for a record that feels like it's, you know, kind of regional, like mm. for it to go into kind of Australian politics at the end, that kind of makes sense. If he's kind of saying that sort of like his version of a joke song, you know, yeah. it's still real issues, but it's like a little bit removed, you know? Um, no, but like, you know, like, um, but like, um, you know, it makes sense. You know, when you when um, you know, I was looking at, when I was listening to the podcast. Um, you know, there's a line. I'm trying. I have the lyrics for him. I'm trying to find it. Just it's like I try to explain to my mom, but she's too afraid to admit to herself that a race is a killing machine. Take a look around your town, and what do you see? Native Americans are surprisingly absent. Um, in the in their own indigenous land, like that's like, there are very important things that they're saying within the context of the song. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, like super quick. There was a guy recently when the movie Prey came out. And he, uh, he was on his own Facebook. He was one of my, uh, he's like one of those people that you kind of like accept a friend and you're like, I don't really know this guy. I'll see what you say. And then basically within a week, he was like, he was like, my issue with prey was, uh, they weren't like native American enough. And then I was like, that's our problem. We mm-hmm. did that, you know. Yeah. Like it's like anything you're criticizing, we killed them. And it's also like the version of, and I almost had to think about this too. Like it's like the version of Native Americans that we were kind of fed as kids in movies and stuff probably weren't even actually Native Americans. More than likely, they were not Native Americans. They were potentially like painted white people <laughs> to yeah. look. You know, so it's like there's so many like kind of issues with that. No, I mean, like, no. Like, even just yeah. like I'm like, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about like grade school and talking about thinking about grade school and like or like you know playing cowboys and Indians or whatever. But um, you know, like you get you get all this stuff. I remember like the um like the big things like oh man like you know like by nature um most Indian tribes were not violent at yeah. all. Of course, yeah, yeah. And then I guess like, well, just thinking of like uh, so then I guess getting into like the kitchen floor, you know. Yeah, which is weird, you know. Like I've not now as an adult, I completely get that song. <laughs> um, but, you know, as a teenager, I, I was straight edge. I was almost twenty two, so mm-hmm. I've been making up for lost time. But um, <laughs> um, but yeah, but also it's a. Uh, there's only one song that I think is filler. And I'll talk about that when I get when we get to that song. But um. I think, you know, I think it's a nice break from, like, two just in-your-face, like, 
Especially after the fucking Australia line, it's nice to like, oh, well, Chris is saying about being fucking drunk. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but also like, if you read it like, like you know, once again, it's that lot. It's, it's linear lyrics, and at the last line, like, I've got to learn to put. Um, I, I have to learn to put the uh, liquor on the shelf, or I might end up just. My, I end up my, uh, I just might end up drowning myself. Like, there's still a resolution to his thought pattern. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, which you know, um, I know you're not a drinker, but for all of us who drink, like those are all like I'm not. I've been pretty good. I've maybe had one of those times, maybe two, my whole life. So, um, yeah. but it's anyone who drinks has had that situation. Or like, okay, I need to fucking clean the fuck up. You know, I mean, I I had those moments. A lot of the reason that I stopped drinking very young was I had kind of older relatives that I kind of was able to see where I might go. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have been that. <laughs> You know, much, but it's like all I could see was essentially my my brother, who was like a year older than me, and then like all of his DUIs, and then like my mom having you know substance abuse issues, and then so it was like, and you know, and then it starting I started drinking when I was like eleven, Not and sure, I yeah. stopped when I was you know twenty. And see, I never, so, I, I never do that. Know. It's not like I was like, oh, Johnson X hardcore kid. He's probably been straight his whole life. Fucking no, hammer. I haven't and, uh, been. Like, see, I, never, was, I, never, I never knew that about you. And like Straight Edge was, it, Straight Edge was kind of like an ease, almost like a. It's something I've lived for a long time. But like, it was more like when I was in college, people would kind of ask, "Why don't you drink?" And so then it just became easier just to say I was Straight Edge. And it's like something I'm proud of, but I'm more so proud of my sobriety than like no, absolutely ab- something absolutely. that you know was written in a hardcore song by like a 15 year old. You know, like it's like I'm more proud of that than like oh yeah, absolutely. The idea like you know, like that, I, like you know? I make I make jokes about my, about my drinking and stuff. Um, you know, I was straight edge till I was 22, and um, a lot of that was I don't think I ever actually believed in any of the straight edge stuff. Um, but it mm-hmm. was just to me. And at some point, some hardcore kid's gonna listen to this and beat me, beat me up with a fucking cue ball and a sock or something. But um, you know, for me, it was like the time and place in the in, you know in the '90s was like it was like the anti-cool kid thing. So if the cool kids were playing football and like having keggers, I was gonna go out skateboard and play in punk bands and not drink. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and so I made a whole decision that I was gonna do these things um without ever even experiencing it mm-hmm. um and in all fairness you've, you've seen me fucking drunk um i've had bad days i've had good days um i've actually curbed a lot of it down um yeah yeah it's it's really tough uh you know so so okay so moving to the next track then let's talk about police song and i know i made the reference earlier to the atheist kid who um did the um you know when sam for the pledge of allegiance but like i mean the song just it's starting it's like you know, do you remember the first thing you had to memorize was the Pledge of Allegiance. And I think outside of maybe the alphabet and maybe counting to 10, that's literally the first thing we learn when we're going to school. Um, and, yeah. um, you know, um, it's a thing that you're taught at such an early age that you have to respect the government and they respect the flag and all that. But, like, yeah. the whole point of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights is that you're allowed to disagree with things you don't agree on like you, you know and you have the right of free speech to say you i don't i don't think this is right no, i mean they're not going to change it or anything but you're allowed to say that as an american um so if yeah. you don't want to pledge allegiance you shouldn't fucking have to if you know if people want to take a fucking knee during a football game good for them it it, it should it should it, it shouldn't be this fucking huge thing of like it's the end of the world. A fucking sports guy's fucking kneeling. Like, no, he's trying to fucking bring an issue. Like, he's getting you worked up because he wants you to have to realize that he's going or, he, you know, there's things going on that are bigger than 
throwing a fucking ball. And the fact that you're concerned about him kneeling proves the fucking point that your eyes aren't even willing to be open enough to even like listen to the plight that they're trying to explain to you. Yeah, it's interesting with the kind of kneeling thing. Uh, what I always like reduce it down to is like, it's kind of like if you don't like it, then just simply don't do it. Yeah. You know, like if you're a person that's like, oh, I don't like that people kneel, then don't fucking kneel. Like it's like, but like that's I, that's like the end of the thing that any issue should matter to you. Like you don't want to like, I don't know, like you don't want to be like gay married, then don't get gay married because you're not going to yeah. but who gives a shit what anyone does you know like i know it's not that simple yeah well it's, a, it's just amazing it's, religion, what amazes like, me the most about it and i think you know i think and i think i mean i think I'll, uh, there's a few songs and you know and propaganda definitely touched on it. it's like the, the whole idea of what these people are the people who complain are the people who are like america freedom like you know it's a freedom you can do whatever you want in this country but then they're the ones yeah. that criticize more than anybody else like you know like yeah. wait so well, you want freedom you got freedom of speech and freedom of expression. This guy's yelling. He's expressing himself and he's using his freedom of speech to kneel and that yeah. offends you. Like it doesn't, yeah. you can't have both. You can't, you know, like that, you know, like that, you know, they, you know, um, you know, like I, I don't want to, I can sit we can sit here and talk about fucking religion all fucking day long. But like the whole fact that they're like, like this whole new fucking phase of like America's a Christian nation. Like, no, it's like, the, it's a fucking first amendment. <laughs> Or, yeah. You know, or like, like no, it's like the you know, fucking free religion is like what this is based on. We left uh, our fucking forefathers left because they thought they were being fucking persecuted because they didn't like fucking whatever King George or whatever did or fucking whatever. You know, I get my my, yeah, my yeah. history. I'm I'm old now. It's been a while since I've been in fucking school, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty close. I think yeah. that might have actually been King George. <laughs> uh, or maybe I need to take my history classes again. So I guess like, okay, so then thinking about, uh, so track five, Upton. I mean, once again, this is a good one that's also like really good about like kind of the idea of like, you know, growing up, you know, I'm assuming they wrote these songs kind of like post high school going into maybe, you know, first year of college and stuff. Um, but like even just like, how it like even starts like I'm not angry I'm I'm a no good piece of shit I hear that every day like it just rolls off my back it's like you know I think it's you know it, it comes off negative but I feel like it's one of those songs that like it like really like I think it's like marriage like 15 minutes where it's like it makes you like be introspective of yourself and like just because people are like saying these things to you doesn't mean you're not doing a bad job in life and I think that like um I, I I'm very happy that a lot of my friends who are parents now are awesome parents who like actually support like anything their kids want to do um mm-hmm. but I feel like you know when we were growing up like if you didn't have that go to college path like then it was very um well you're worthless if you're not going to college or you're not you didn't go enough in high school it was like oh then you're 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 gonna be a fucking ditch digger or something like my dad my, yeah. my dad my dad my no that's my dad saying he's like well the world needs ditch diggers I'm like Pretty sure they have fucking machines for that these days. Like, I don't think people yeah. actually dig ditches anymore. Like, I think even I think a fucking those like guys like make a lot of money too. I'm fucking like if so if if you had to get someone to change the irrigation in your yard, that'd be so expensive. So it's funny. I think a thing too with like uh, our age of parents, like we've kind of even if we've gone to college, we know that it's like you know I went to college, I have a degree, but it's like it didn't you know pave the streets of gold for me. No. Like it didn't you know so it's like what better option? Of course we would potentially just let our kids do whatever. Like Scott, that's in late bloomer, like he just lets his kid listen to like whatever. Like his kid got really into new metal, and like as parents, like our parents would have probably been like, don't do that. Mm. But he's like 
He's also like, I feel like if I tell my kid not to like, like, you know, Chucky or something like he likes like horror movie stuff and Scott's not super into that. And he just kind of lets him do it. So like Scott has gone to see Slipknot uh, with him and he's like, it's cool. But, you know, of course, I'm, it's not like my favorite band, but he's like, also, if I tell him not to like it, he's probably going to get more into it, <laughs> you know, but he's like, why wouldn't I just let him do it? What's bigger you than know? all that? And it's like the most important is that, um, mm-hmm because of that he's um he's building a bond with his kid that like a lot of us never had you know like for sure um my parents got divorced when i was six months old um i don't think either one of them were well, i was conceived at a moody booze concert so that should tell you everything you need to know about my family life <laughs> um but um me and my dad never had like the best relationship and he's in my very in times of need um he's tried to help and then um He's one of those people that is very codependent on being with a partner. Um, and me and the partners have never um, have gone along. Um, and he's unfortunately taking sides of his partner over me in, in times. Um, and then it, it really affected our relationship um, for a long time. There's one point where I didn't talk to him till, for like 10 years. Um, but mm-hmm. we're like, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're actually good now. And um, he's living in North Carolina now. Um, we see each other once in a while. And, but um you know, um, if he, I'm wondering, like looking back, like if he took any interest in any of the things that I was interested in doing, you know, like when we would have the weekend trade off, he would take me to do things like he thought would be interesting for me, which is like, he'd want to be like, we'd go camping. Like, I don't know if you met me, but I fucking hate the outdoors. I fucking hate sweating. <laughs> I fucking, yeah. I hate, I fucking hate bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like boats. <laughs> Um, there's just so many things I don't like about that, you know, but it's like, you know, like, Hey, like, I don't know, like, do you want to go to the Metro and see Smashing Pumpkins? Like taking me to a concert, you know, like that'd be fun, you know, stuff like that, you know? Um, so, you know, yeah. um, I think it's very important to listen to what a child is telling the parent of like, Hey, I'm really into this. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be your thing, but if you like can, um, you know, grind your way through it, you're going to have, you will have a cool fucking relationship with your kid that a lot of us didn't have back then, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think too, when I kind of, the paths I went on, I, I appreciate like discovering punk, but it's like, if you would have kind of been able to approach those things from a more positive angle, like <laughs> how much more like actualized of a person <laughs> would I be at this point? So yeah. it's like, what's the harm in kind of just letting your kid be into, you know, fucking mud vein, even though you might think it sucks. But, you know, it's like, or just like having a relationship based on the fact that your kid seems to like to do it. Uh, uh, it's just like you have to play piano or you have uh, to play baseball, you know, if um, they want to. Cool. Well, so uh, before, before well, I, I, do, I, I do want to talk about one more thing in uptime, but, um, but to give you the for example is because um, I was forcing the things I didn't really like doing. Um, like, um, I think it was third or fourth grade. Um, I joined like the, like, well, they signed me up for like the local football team and the team did good. And we ended up going down to Gatlinburg for like a regional final or something like that. And, um, I wasn't very good. I was like, I played safety. I really didn't do anything most of the year. Um, but just mm-hmm. happens that that game um, before the game, he, um, him and my coach were both yelling at me about something. I think I was reading a comic book or something, not paying attention, but they both yelled at me. I was like, well, fuck you guys. Um, Cause it's yeah. you know, how I am. Like I've been like authority most of my life. Um, and then just by chance in the fourth quarter, we were down by like a touchdown or something. I think it was down by a field goal. And um, I tackled somebody and they fucking dropped the ball and I picked it up. Uh, like I knew that I should fucking run, but I looked right at my dad and the coach, and I just stood there with a shitty grin in my face and let someone tech and tackle me. That's great. <laughs> yeah. you know, fuck it. Like you know, like don't fucking tell me what to do. Like, 
Um, but anyways, I'm gonna go back to Uptown. There's one line that I love on this on this song, um, and it really um, it's one of those it's one of those lines that suck with me um, because I, it's really easy for us, you know, um, b- because of our culture, you know, like everyone's like uh, when you see someone like you know asking for money on the streets, there's like oh like they're just gonna use it on drugs or they're gonna need an alcohol, like well who gives a shit? Like they're obviously in a bad place, so whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever. Uh, but the one thing I learned, and it's because of this song, is that I, if, if I have it on me, I will always give like a dollar or something. You know, if I, if I have it, and it mm-hmm. sucks. Like now with everything going digital, I'm having like less and less cash on me. But I always try. If I have it, I don't give a shit what you do with it. But um, but the one thing I learned from the song is that you can you can tell when when someone really what they want, but the people who really need it is it's not so much the money they want; is they want the human interaction. Um, you know, yeah. they don't want to look like you know they the. You know, they um they don't want to feel like a you know a piece of garbage. Um, but the the lyric on here, um, now don't be offended and don't curse me out, but I'm starving. And I I could I could sure uh, use your dimes. I look I looked up to a young man not much older than me and gave him a dollar and a smoke and some time. He said I fought for Uncle Sam and now he won't fight for me. He threw me out when I was done serving time. I said I wouldn't go into special forces and kill. So he said then stay on the fucking streets and fucking die. Like you know that's shit. That's like you know like I'm assuming I, mean, I don't feel like Dan Hanaway's lying that the story, but like a lot of times we see people and um, people who are struggling in the streets or whatever and doing stuff and like everyone has a fucking story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially these days, you know, the way society is like, I mean, fucking, if I had two heart attacks, me and Heather are fucking broke, you know, like, yeah, you know, it's that simple. Well, one of us gets cancer, we're broke, you know, like, um, you know, there's so much, it's so easy to think that while we're living in these, like, you know, houses that we think are cool as fuck for us because, you know, we ever finally did they able to do something. Um, but it could really just be gone in a fucking second when you really think yeah. about it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy to think about that and it's funny when people funny is probably not the best hmm. word, but like whenever people are like, "Oh, what why do you have a problem with like Amazon or Jeff Bezos?" and it's like, you know, and they sympathize for like billionaires and it's like billionaires don't need you caping for them. Like I yeah, like you said, like, you know, you're basically one tragedy away from being that person hmm. you see on the street. Like Anyone that's like, uh, well, I own a home or they own two homes and then they're like, but I'm trying my grind mindset. And it's like, no matter how rich you think you are, you know, those people that probably might not even make over like 200,000. It's like, that's so you might have two tragedies away. Yeah. And it's it's fucked up. Those those are the people that are going to have the worst. Those are the people that like, those are the people that overspend on stuff, on stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, um, you know, like I would love to have a real fucking Gibson Les Paul, but I buy fucking fake Chinese knockoffs because they're $300 and I can, I've learned how to set them up. So they fucking play great. You know, Um, you know, like I live, I I figure out how to live it within my bounds. Like, yeah, I would love to fucking have fucking steak for dinner tonight, but you know, I'm going to have fucking hamburger helper because I can afford that, you know? Um, You know, and I think it's, it's funny when people just do that because it's like, yeah, well, it's a, so I think closer. I think we, I think I don't know the exact number, but let's let's, let's say it's two hundred thousand dollars a year. That's yeah. when like it becomes like well, I was saying earlier about like you know like being strange. It's like oh well, like that's like you do it because or we're talking about um, music. It's like that's because the people around you. That's how they do it so you have to you know like mm-hmm. um like if i like um me we, we were joking um a couple uh, a couple months ago when the powerball happened like um heather's like what would, what would we do if we bought the powerball i'm like uh pay off our house and then i would just build an extension outside of where um where the studio is and i just build an indoor pool 
and then like and then, and, like, and then I would upgrade my equipment and like just fucking hang out and like produce and I would produce records for free but you only get to record like by an invite you know like but that's yeah. like but that like I you know I know it sounds like a very simple life but that's just what I would like that's what would make me happy you know like I don't like this house is already way more than I've ever like had in my life you know like so yeah. you know like I'm I I want to buy a new car too I'm driving a 2006 Cadillac um, whose brakes barely work but you know like but I'm fine with yeah. it you know like it works I mean like the main the main point was it's like the people that kind of like look down on a you know houseless person it's like you're like I've already said like you're so much closer to that person than you will ever ever in your wildest imagination beat us on like hmm. Jeff Bezos so like it's no. like you have more in common with that person that you know is on the streets than that so it's like you know keep that in perspective with like people that need help you know they are people and they're closer to you, mm-hmm. you know, yeah that's, you that's, that's that's what's amazing you know like i said like it's like, whatever that number is like when you, once people get past the number they think they're like oh I'm, you know like yeah a millionaire is closer to the homeless guy than jeff Bezos, you know way like, closer yeah yeah like yeah like nikki six is closer to a homeless person than fucking jeff yeah. Bezos. you know like that should give you yeah. like, that should give anyone listening the perspective even then. like multi-millionaires are closer to that you know I mean, you that think that he's not a multi-millionaire <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know what they've done with their money you know like they could they could very well be but i'm like you know they're 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 not like tech millionaire types, but I don't know. Maybe Nikki Six has made some really amazing uh, investments. No, apparently, yeah, I guess apparently he's yeah. like the. I think he's actually the. He's gonna fucking sue me after I say it. I think he's the third least paid member of Motley Crue, which is hilarious. Is he like wrote all, wrote all the songs, but apparently well, wow. not the least paid in for Motley Crue stuff, but like like net worth. Tommy's Tommy's the the biggest network. Well, he's like a like celebrity in his own. Right? Yeah, so I mean, I like guess he's got that. He, I mean, he, he went, dude, he did fucking time that he goes to college. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, when me <laughs> yeah, when true. me and Heather got married, um, our buddy Neil um used the DBE cover of time that he goes to college as like the pad for him to, for us to do our vows or like for his like <laughs> notes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I guess okay. So with Restless though, I would say if I had to pick like one song on this album that's my favorite is probably restless so um i i i i agree with that like for me for me it, uh, for me it's actually nautical mile is my favorite and then um second is i hear things are so bad like here and then restless is my third um but yeah um but restless is like i i wish that like that was more their introduction song to people because i like um going back to like the idea of freedom like personal freedoms i think that's a very good um a, the song's a really good example of like how being alone can really like make you realize that all the things that you think you should be doing aren't necessarily maybe the best things. Mm-hmm. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, it's like, wait, um, um, I fell asleep on the side of the mountain. I woke up to a peaceful morning. I took a deep breath and stared across the Canyon and exhausted, um, hard Creek screaming my name. Another year for me of worthless destiny. I've been waiting for the perfect time to scream. So I scream holding on waiting, holding on waiting for a better dream. Like, that's fucking amazing, you know? Like, that's so fucking... Like, that's like... Like, Blake Schwarzenbach wishes he can write something like that about himself that isn't about another person, you know? Yeah. Uh, but also, like, what I love about that is also, like, the... Like, you know, as a musician, is, like, the isolation of the guitar riff and stuff, you know? And especially when it gets to the Canyon part, where um he does, like, that kind of single note. Um, It's, like, almost like... It's, I don't know if it's double-tracked or a chorus, but... It's like he, like the guitar kind of follows the vocal, but it has such a cool tone. The only thing, I say, not the song. It's on. Um, we'll have a party. Is um, I gotta 
call out Matt Allison's, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah. So I guess even just like going to, you know, Jonathan Kozel was right. So, and so Jonathan Kozel, um, I, I, I don't give a, a huge background, but uh, so um, he is an American uh, progressive author. Um, he, he wrote, he wrote a bunch of bo- uh, books uh, about homelessness and families and stuff like that. Number one about the song. Um, I love the song, but the outro, I don't know if you caught it, but the outro riff guitar, if they, um, they stole from propaganda on the three, three, words no choices like or three bullets three oh, choices. i didn't pick that up the bump and the bonnet the din they do the exact same riff at the end of this um but um the one thing that really um and like it's that um to the juxtaposition of chicago schools um is insane as i said like you know, we all grew up like in the public school system we were our funding was fucking just insane like um i don't know what the actual numbers are but i said like we had we had like five different music programs like um you, you could take any foreign language you wanted we had every fucking sport you can imagine like my my brother like was on a bowling team in high school you know like um but then the opposite of that is this song, which is the Chicago, so it's the Chicago public school system in Chicago proper, which is like nothing. But uh, the, the, once again, it's like the last couple lines on the song, but it's, um, it's a cycle that for years has not been broken. There's a name for this. It's called social reproduction. We maintain our caste system by letting them enforce it. We're all flowers growing in the garbage can. The, the teachers sell the kids. But how can you let a flower grow when the sunlight blocked out by the lid? Distribute property tax never more fair, more fairly. At least that's the start. Because little flowers can't grow in the darkness. They need everything we got. Like, totally makes sense. You know, like, and like, also the, the flower metaphor, like, funding is amazing. You know, like, you can't yeah. tell, you know, like, there was a, um, I think, um, especially in Chicago, and I think if you listen to anybody who has, um, you know, gotten famous, who grew up in Chicago, and especially growing up in, like, you know, or, in that era, um, in that era, in those public schools, will tell you just how underfunded all that is. So for any of them to like actually have an education is insane because it was, um, it was like looking at like if you know like so like, I, I, I graduated high school in ninety nine. So if I if my if, where I was at ninety nine in my high school, if I went to, if I went to a public school in Chicago and looked at it it would feel like 1984 or 85. Mm-hmm. Like they were just so like, there was no funding. They were still like on like Apple twos. And we were, I had like, you know, it was before the first iMac, but you know, like, um, you know, it was, it was just insane. There was it's just, the disparity between communities was like, it was gross. Redline's the one that I have nothing good to say about. Um, cause that's like the love song that makes no sense. That's the only, that's the, if I was a producer, if I was mad, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, don't put a love song in. The, cause it's the end of fucking, or it's the first song on side B of the vinyl. It's like, no. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, um, so, um, let's, let's talk about, uh, Wall of Party. I'm gonna go through this one fast. Um, I really like this song cause I like every song on this record. Um, but it's, this one's kind of, this more of the same. The biggest, the only complaint I have in this is um this is a year and a half before Matt Allison got autotune for the first time. So um yeah. the first line, the sun came up. Um, <laughs> um and it's like it's just so out of key. Um but it's hilarious because um the opposite side is that if you listen to the first line of the first honor system record, he just got autotuned and it, like he just yeah. got autotuned and it's like worse it's like us all robotic. Wow, wow. And I talked to you like you can leave this thing because I've talked to Matt Allison like at least 40 times about this but i will yeah. say like I, for everything bad i say i'll say a good thing um i will say that 
This record has some of my favorite Tom drum sounds ever. Um, and this is still back when he was working at ADATs. And I don't know, if there's something about those ADATs that like, for some reason, Tom sound incredible on that type of tape. I don't know what it yeah. is, but it just it just works. And, and the Tuesday record, uh, Matt also did that. And the Tom's, same thing. Amazing. God damn it. Recorded by Matt on ADATs. Great. Um, oh, okay, so he's like a he's like a name that kind of looms large on a lot of these Chicago records. Matt Allison. Yeah, like hi, well, welcome, welcome to punk rock. Um, yeah. So he did all this. He did he did he's he did everything. Well, he's he's back. He's doing Alkaline Tree again. He did everything up to from here in infirmary. Um, mm-hmm. He did all, he did all the Menzinger stuff up to Rented World, I believe. Um, yeah. He did all Lawrence Arms stuff except for the first two. Um, yeah. Just you just, like, give me a Google search later on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, more more for that. I'm I'm saying that for the listener. So mm. if someone's listening, and they don't know kind of the impact this person has. Uh, for sure, you know. Uh, yeah, just Google Matt Allison, and you'll see a lot of this kind of thing. But yeah, this is a person specifically, I guess, to the person listening, that had a huge impact on these sounds. So. So I guess if, if you say a thing that's not super unkind to like uh, the way a record was recorded in 97, yeah. this guy is made up for it oh, in yeah. spades, you know, <laughs> through all these years. He's like, it's like making fun of God. It's, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like they don't need, you know, he, they're he, fine. And like, he's also, he's, he's, he's from Chicago too. So he's also like as self-loathing as all of us from Chicago. <laughs> uh, I was yeah. in a podcast interview about him doing, um, what was, I think it was, uh, it wasn't Hello Rock View. Um, it was maybe Borders, whatever the one after, um, Whatever the first um, Capitol Records Lesson Jake, or not, sorry, the third Capitol Records Lesson Jake one that, that then went to Fat Records after that. Um, but he was talking um, when they went in there, um, he like he like they flew him out to like California or something to do the record. And uh, it was the first time he had to use Pro Tools and he never like he never used it before. But he's like, oh, yeah, I'll figure mm-hmm. it out. And he's just like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. And so luckily, um, I guess um, Lesson Jake already had like a little pro tools rigs so they were able to like teach him really fast like all the key commands and stuff <laughs> oh okay so so i guess in that sense he he almost accidentally or um he kind of had to be more of like the traditional producer while, while lesson jake themselves were the engineer yeah exactly yeah yeah um yeah. so uh, i'm gonna skip over red line i mean it's a cool song but it's about fucking eating popsicles for the next girlfriend i think i don't think yeah. i mean we've all had we've all we've all listened to emo song before um <laughs> So this is this is actually my favorite. Song. The next song after that is "I Hear Things Are Just as Bad Down in Lake Erie." This is one of my favorite songs on the record, um, and it's um, going back to like when we we're talking about the "I" and "We" and blah blah. This is a very this is a very "I" song, um, and like there's so many lyrics. I'm gonna go the whole thing, but um, my favorite thing about the song is that it's the song that actually helped me graduate high school. In my senior <laughs> year, I was um, not doing good in uh, one of my um, English classes, but the, the final project was um, bring in lyrics to your favorite song and analyze them, and then you would present in, uh, in front of the class and like blah blah. Um, and then, well, number one, he's like, and then I got in trouble because like half the fucking half the words on the song are fuck. And then also, if you haven't noticed, like fuck is my favorite fucking word. Um, but like every other word is like you know blah blah. blah. Um, but like, what's really cool? Uh, not really cool, but like, there's a once again, it's like the last line. We're talking, you know, we're talking about the like the, the lineage. It's um, uh, and the only dream I have is for an H bomb to come and blow us, uh, blow us fucking up, so I know I can have a decent sleep, sleep, so you don't have to hear me bitch anymore. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, but also, but I love that it's like super serious, but then so you don't have to bitch anymore. It's like tags that little bit of like punk rock humor into it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know we have like a bunch more to go, um, and I have to go. I have to go make amends with somebody from 2004. So, because uh, as 
for the kiddies out there, as you as you get older, make sure you go back and like right your wrongs, uh, make you feel better at the end of the day. And I've been spending many many years doing that. Um, fuck you, Larry Kosh. I hope you Starman Dies today is one of the best songs ever against um, the Salvation Army. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, bring your goddamn bell for everyone to hear. Um, if you support the Salvation Army, you should go fuck yourself. Um, they are very bad for gay and transgender rights. Um, and they should not be a thing that anyone donates to. Um, material items or money. Please don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And they do a lot of things like if someone is, you know, if someone, if someone is homeless, they they kind of like make you do a lot of like errands to even like stay at a thing. Errands is putting it lightly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, like, well, and they so they 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 somehow they've somehow gotten more offensive now. If if you're a pregnant woman, they won't take you in anymore. Yeah, which is like totally fucked. Yeah, totally. Um, twenty five degrees north. Um, this is about his friend giving everything away. Um, as a as a forty year old, I kind of like my things these days. So, uh, when I when I was seventeen, it sounded like a good idea to give everything away and like move to a fucking island. Uh, but I don't agree with that song so much anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, it's interesting. I think like kind of being personally, I feel like it's like I was raised in like a trailer park, so it's like I never really even thought I'd go to college. I didn't think I would like really own anything because it's like. My parents didn't, you know, they didn't have like really college, college education. So it's like when you do get to a point of having things, you treasure them. But it's also good to think back like, oh, that doesn't put kind of back to what we were saying. Like, just because I've worked that hard doesn't mean that I now need to like shit on someone that just doesn't have it. it that doesn't mean they didn't work hard. You know, that just means that there's situations I was lucky, I guess, in a way. I mean, I will say, I, and I, I will say I did, uh, I did take away, you know, I said like this, this is a record I've been listening to for over 20 years. Um, and kind of the same thing is I've learned that like, there was a point where I thought it was very important for me to like have a lot of things. Like I should have a lot of guitars or have a lot of guitars because it shows that I've like worked really hard in the music industry. Um, and I've gotten rid of most of that, you know, like I, 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 I have one amp left. Um, I have a Kemper and then an amp, so I have two things. But um, and I have a few guitars, but they're all like you know they're all different because you know obviously like having the studio, like I want to have a couple of different you know like it's a Jazzmaster, a Tele, you know a Les Paul. Um, so they they all do different things. Um, but you know like I did there was a point there was a point where I had like seven different Les Pauls. Like I don't need seven of these. Um, and so um, I think there was one point where I was you know making good enough money that i thought that having those items would make me feel better and make me look impressive um yeah. and it made me and then i was and then i've gotten rid of all of it like not because i needed money or anything just because it made me like it didn't add any value to my personal life you know it like it's everything complicated because like oh i have no room to put this shit like well i'm not <laughs> gonna use this like if i get if i get rid of three guitars i can actually buy a keyboard or something that i can like I, i'll actually use you know um but i think it's really easy to just um you know, um, I think it's really easy to just get wrapped up in like materialism and like impulse buying. I, you know, I, you know, like we we're talking about, you know, we we're talking about the, you know, our, um, you know, addiction, um, stuff like that. And I think that a lot of people don't realize like how addicted they are to buying things. Um, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that is, um, you know, like obviously clever marketing, um, every store has a person whose job is to any corporate store has a person whose job is to lay out where every product goes and things are at certain eye lines. So, you know, like, you know, when you go, when you go to a grocery store or Walmart, the, the, the 20 ounce sodas are right by the checkout because if you've been there for an hour. You're probably thirsty. It's all sublim yeah. you know, it's all these subliminal things being like, Oh, you should probably get like, Oh, you're, you're thirsty. You just walked around for an hour, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and it's, it's all planned and that sounds really fucking conspiracy, but like, yeah, but it, like, 
Um, but it's I I I've, I've worked I've worked I've been a, a fucking um a shelving designer like it's all done in a specific way so it reaches people's eyes you know but uh but I think I think a lot of the things that we have we don't need you know like we have fucking well, we have two coffee makers and I guess one's for the studio so I don't feel bad but like if I didn't have the the, the coffee maker in the studio it's not like someone can't walk upstairs and make a fucking pot of coffee you know yeah. Yeah, uh, Pope of Chilling Town. Um, that's one of my. That's a great song, and also it's like, also the best episode of fucking The Simpsons. So, it's yeah. the one. It's the one with Johnny Cash as the as the um the fox. Oh, that one. Yeah. So yeah. yeah so yeah. The, the, the 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 title is based off of when when Homer walks up to uh off uh Wickham's. He's like, oh look, here comes the Pope of Chilling Town, <laughs> and then he does it, and then he like you know he goes crazy, and then he like runs up, and he's like ends up in the golf course, but he like climbs it up, and then Johnny Cash as his like spirit animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, I, I will I will end on well end on the last song, which is not a mile. Um, and going back to Latterman, like I don't know I don't I don't know Latterman very well. Um, I've you know I've worked with a few of them in different capacities, but never like never really, like you know had like good hangs and stuff. But like I have to imagine that this was a song that inspired like Latterman at some point, just because everything lyrically about the song is um, and this is a wee song, you know, it's kind of like um I, I, uh it's it's kind of like Turnstiles by Howard Music to me. It's like the opposite of not the opposite, but it's it's like the sister song to Turn Styles. Um, you know, it's like the mm-hmm. there's no point to surrender. Very similar, like like um, you know, you still got a thousand people on your side. It's a very similar like aesthetic of a song, and they you know, uh, they came out well, they, like I, they came out maybe eight eight months apart. This one came out first, but when they when I heard that song and then heard Turn Styles, I was like, okay, like it was that like in a record that's very. You know, political and everything is terrible. Hearing that and having that as the, the, the like the closing song, they were very smart about having that because it's the like it's that oh my god, everything's kind of crazy, but there are people who like agree, like who who like view the same thing and agree with you, and w- like if we find each other, we all can get through this, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's actually and it's a great if you if it's a great bookend if you like really pay attention to that song and then go back and look at uh, fifteen minutes. If you look at those two and how like dire opposite of them, they're actually amazing bookends. Um, Cause like the record does kind of tell a story um, in a sense outside of Redline, which I still don't understand what they put on. Um, I don't need to hear about Brendan Kelly eating popsicles. So, yeah, I feel like that was like a thing in the nineties uh, to kind of like put, I mean, sometimes albums had too many of these songs, but it almost like your joke song mm-hmm. in a way, a thing to kind of like break it up. I think it's almost like how like, you know, hip hop records of the time had a bunch of skits. You know? Yeah, but, so but, it's but, like, but like, I mean, yeah. the, the, but the chronic has great skits. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so it's like, you kind of put one in like the middle of your record. Cause it's like, Oh, I have time to like, if this is bad, I still have time to win them back. I think is probably what they thought like red line would be. It's, so it's like the time <laughs> so well, here's, um, well, but yeah, but I don't think it's a joke song. So, so Ben moves to California. Yeah. So Ben moves to California was on their first seven inch. Um, but there was a B-side from this record that was on um, the Where's the Beef compilation. Uh, there's a call back to the beginning of the episode uh, on the Where's the Beef compilation from um, Drive Through Records called Fuck the Church, mm-hmm. which is, was is fucking incredible. Um, and it was, I, mean, I, was I, I think I even mentioned uh, Carl Bern, uh, Bernstein earlier in the episode. But that song is about, well, that's what goes back to Larry Koch, too. Um, but it goes back to um, Carl Bernstein and um, Ber- uh, Bernadine, sorry, Bernstein is... Um, uh, Watergate, um, Bernadine, um, 
Um, but and it was on this compilation, and it, you can only find this compilation. They even put it, they didn't even put it on the Broken Van compilation, but it's oh, like okay. it's so amazing, and it was recorded during these sessions. It's like that would be amazing. Like the first two lines is uh, Galileo was a sinner who gives a fuck. Columbus was a saint. Like you know, like already like those first two lines is like just like you know exactly where you get when you hear that song just by that. You know. Yeah. Um, I w- I think I'd rather hear that than you know. I mean, what was it? Uh, my favorite dream has come true. I love you, and I'll never meet another like you. Like, that's like, that's like below. Like, okay, so like, if we say like Mineral and Sunny Day are like the the pinnacle mm-hmm. of like ninety six, ninety seven emo, that's like, like twenty steps down lyrically from anything like that. You know, like I love Penfold. Like Penfold's also one of my favorite emo bands. And they have a song that you're the only person that I would ever want to break my heart. And that's more poetic than that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, I mean, I as we kind of like wrap up, like talking about the record, like, I guess if there's kind of any like parting thoughts, like, I, you know, you want to talk about and then we can, you know, kind of talk about what you're up to. Yeah. Um, if you are into if you like Let's Talk More Rock, anything by Reviver. Ladderman, stuff like that. Um, and if you haven't heard the record, I think um, I think it's a record everyone should listen to because I think it really does. Um, I said like none of those, even though it's from 1997, every almost every song is still fucking relevant, and that's like the saddest part of that is that yeah. nothing has changed. Like, I, and it, it's just it's just sad that as a culture we we haven't had the growth that we should have had. Um, yeah, and in a lot of ways, it's probably worse. Yeah. You know, than it was at this point, you know, but it's, it's definitely not better. Yeah. So. I feel like, you know, like I said, you know, like, I mean, I know that I'm probably looking at the nineties through rose colors glasses. That was like my coming of age time, but I felt like the mid nineties were a lot more. Um, I think right now we're way more progressive as people, but I felt like politics were being more progressive than, than they are now. <laughs> yeah. In like a, yeah. In like a policy politics. Yeah. Yeah. Policy thing. politics. Yeah. Like a social politic, we were, yeah, we yeah. were not. But a lot of you know, outs, you know, a lot of these kind of like issues that this record talks about, you know, like police reform or police abolition, uh, that it kind of goes into, and then like you know, houselessness and uh, things like that, you know, uh, income inequality that this touches on those aspects. During we were better, especially in a city like Chicago, than we are now but we are socially way past this obviously yeah but you know like politic uh policy was yeah i think that we probably were i mean we were we were in like the i guess the end of like uh basically almost like eight years of bill clinton you know which i don't good thing or bad thing but it's better than i guess eight years of bush uh but that's still two things that are bad uh you know so it's like yeah, it, it's an interesting thing to kind of look back on. Um, so hopefully we kind of get to a point where hopefully 20 years from now, we're not looking like, damn, this is all way too relevant. That would be very sad. Yeah. As sad as it is now, that would be, I don't know how we'd be alive at that I'm point. not going to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to reunite, but um, yeah, like you should go back. There's a band called The Clash. You should go back and listen to some <laughs> Clash records. It was bad then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was that, that would have been almost fifty years ago. <laughs> so uh, we listen to oh, those no, records. This and... isn't good. <laughs> um, but yeah, like yeah. it's like nothing is. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah. I, 
I, me and my dad debate it all the time. You know, it's like, you know, like it's not, it's not an issue. I mean, it, obviously there's political issues, but at the end of the day, it's really, it's capitalism. Um, Cause capitalism is what funds our democracy. You know, yeah. you know, um, you can, and you can be, a, you can be a socialist Democrat. Um, you know, like I think there's something to be said about like pe- people having the right to vote um, and do that. I think that's obviously really fucking important. Um, but I also think that you also can have social programs and, and, and for people. So everyone has a fair chance, you know, um, yeah. I think you can have a fair chance and also be able to become a millionaire. You know, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, but I also think that people who hoard wealth and don't put it back in are also like just terrible fucking people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. there's a limit, you know, like I think, I think if you build a business, great, but at, at some point you should cap that shit and that should go back into Fuck that's like I mean like all uh, any one of those motherfuckers could fucking solve the hunger crisis in a fucking day. It's like they have to write yeah. one check, and they wouldn't even fucking touch like over half their fucking money. And that's like that's what's fucking yeah. fear infuriating is that but like oh we're gonna go to fucking space. Yeah, that's where it gets to be a fucked up thing. About, I mean, we probably should have had like a capitalism chat like earlier yeah. in the conversation, but like, but like it's. It's hard for me to kind of, okay, so, like, the simple little thing is, like, whenever people are like, oh, you should use paper straws, I'm like, oh, cool, that's cool. But also, we should have, like, policies that actually stop these billionaires from becoming multi-billionaires because they're not actually doing anything. We need this policy. Also, I fucking hate paper straws. <laughs> they suck. They're ass. fucking terrible. Like, if you drink a soda, they dissolve within like two minutes. And it, yeah. And I don't. I don't like, know. I don't like. I don't know if the people who like created paper straws like actually drink like Coca Cola or anything. But I swear to God, <laughs> you put that in Coca Cola, you're drinking the fucking paper. Like. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's like a crass song or something because it's like, it's like I can do so much and I should. I should help these people and it's. I'm not taken away from that. I can't. But it's like. How can I really give a shit about like, you know, like on most days I'm like, I don't want to shop at Walmart, but then I'm like, I can't change anything as one person. Yeah. Like these policies need to change from the top up. They need to change from a community level. And that is also important for us to vote and all those things. But it's like, well, here's, I, I, can, just... I can tell you how to shop at Walmart. Um, <laughs> here's, here's how you shop at Walmart um, in a way that makes you feel good about yourself. Cause it's it's completely okay to steal from fucking corporations. Don't ever steal. Oh, don't, yeah. don't ever steal from mom and pop. Um, um, we're both we're both fucking record fans. We were both like vinyl records, and there's vinyl records I will never spend. You know, like, like I, I like I love Metallica. And I love, like I love Nine Inch Nails. Like, um, but I've like I've always wanted Pretty Hate Machine and um, Downward Spiral on vinyl just to have because me, me uh, usually on Friday nights me and my wife get a bottle of wine. We just listen to records. So I figured out if you go into the self checkout. If you turn it upside down so it doesn't get the barcode and you put it on the scanner, you say it's mm-hmm. fruit. Um, I usually call them bananas, and so it just takes yeah. the weight. So I can get two. I can get two records for a dollar ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. You should definitely always steal from like Whole Foods and you know stuff like that. Yeah, I mean any place. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, any and basically any any corporate place that has self checkout, which also self checkout is like, that's just taking away fucking jobs from people. It's fucking ridiculous. Like it's yeah. you know like. I don't, I don't want to get in that because I could sit, do this for fucking hours. Um, but, yeah. um, but like it's fucking Walmart. Like I'll pay for some shit, but like, I'm not going to pay fucking $30 for a fucking record. I've owned for 30 years. Like, fuck it. Like if no one's yeah. not going to check me out, I'm going to fucking check myself out. And I'll just, I'm going to pay what I think the record's worth. And 
that record to me was worth a fucking a, a bundle of bananas. Yeah, and it's interesting thing about records like you know this Broadway's record. Like, I mean, Metallica or Guns N' Roses, like we were talking about, are super important. But just the idea of like having you know a punk record that like teaches you something, yeah. but in a way that doesn't feel like overly didactic in most places on the record mm. is like super important, especially like from formative years. So. Mm. If you're somebody that this is like me, that this is a gap and you're listening, I would highly recommend, you know, checking out this record because I think it really does fill a gap between kind of a more than pop era going into like Alkaline Trio or then not really Lawrence Arms because I feel like they kind of stayed the course of this some of these messages. But if you kind of think about the splinters and that family tree. Oh, yeah. Which I mean, we could do a whole episode of the fucking family tree, which is fucking the ridiculous. The family tree is ridiculous, yeah. you know? So, um, but yeah. Um, so, I, um, yeah. so I'll, 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 I'll give you guys uh, my updates and tags, but before we do that, um, I have to have you, I'm going to leave you and your listeners with one thing to think about. So, going back to Guns N' Roses, the whole story about um, Welcome to the Jungle is that when he got off the bus, some homeless guy came up to him. He's like, you know where you are? You're in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. Do you think Axl Rose ever went back to Skid Row and found that dude and be like, hey, man, like, you inspired me to write one of the biggest songs in the world. I want to give you some money or like, I don't want to thank you. Do you think he ever thought like, thank that dude? No, I don't even know if he ever thought about that. <laughs> See, like he, yeah. but, I, but I, but I, but I, but I've been hearing, he's actually like super sweet these days. So yeah, he's been like the, the turn, I was going to say heel turn, but that's more of like a, as a villain, but like the turn he's made to be like shitting on like politicians, mm. you know, like right wing politicians. It's like, I did not expect it. You know, like it's like, to kind of see where he's kind of grown to is, I mean, I've been a big, big Guns N' Roses fan, but it's like, I did not expect that. You know? No, I, I didn't. So it's great to see. I never expected that, but um, uh, um, back, um, there, was, there used to be a show in VH1 Classic called That Metal Show, and there was one episode where they just interview him, and they, like, and Eddie Trunk um, was one of the hosts, and he just, like, grilled him on stuff, and, like, um, and about the stuff that, like, you know, because everything, you know, back, you know, back when all the shit was going down, when Guns, when the original lineup broke up, it was very, um, you know, it was all like rumors and hearsay because unless it was like printed in press, we didn't, you know, there was before Twitter and shit. Um, but he was like doing the interview and he was like, oh, wait, maybe you were the same person. Because he's like, he's like, he's like, oh, I heard you like, you know, pulled Slash and Duff outside before a show and made them sign away the rights. Otherwise, you wouldn't go on stage. He's like, well, yeah, they were fucked up on heroin. They couldn't get through a set. <laughs> and it's like, and yeah. like when he said in like in such a nonchalant, like strict way, I'm like, well, that makes sense. Like, you know, like, you know, like, oh, like maybe this guy's not the crazy one, you know? Yeah. Like, he's definitely not like the kind of final boss, like villain dude. It's like, I bet he would, from what I've seen on Twitter, which is wild to watch, like he would admit to like pieces of that. And that's, that's interesting to kind of like be Axel Rose feels like just a figure, but he's like aware of what who that is yeah. you know i guess going back to personas yeah. you know like it's it's interesting to kind of see people kind of like get that self-awareness yeah i saw I, I don't know if, i don't know if it's on twitter or it might have been, i can't remember what it was but i watched something in the last year or so um but someone uh, like it, it's someone interviewing him now but asking about the um the montreal riot when um when james heffel mm-hmm. got um burnt and he was like hey yeah. like he's like we came out there he's like i was he's like i had a sore throat but i came out there and I was really trying my best, um, but the, the like the monitors weren't working. And he's like, "This is before in ears," and I kept on and like and I kept on trying to work with the monitors, and the monitor guys just weren't doing their fucking job. I couldn't hear myself, and I'm not gonna blow my voice is already blown. I'm not gonna blow my voice out. 
Um, he's because yeah. we have like three more shows to go after this. Like, like we have a show the next day. If I blow my voice out now, then we then we can't play tomorrow. Um, and I was like, oh well, like that makes sense. Like you know, like we're just like it's like, well, why don't you just say that at the fucking time? You know, like you know. Um, yeah, that that's interesting. I, that might have then been like the young person thing of, I don't even know if there would have been a really avenue to, like, how do you get, how would you get the word out that that's the reason? Like now with like social media, he could have just tweeted that. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, like, uh, hey, you know, just so you but know. Like, it, I but it's amazing. Like, like voice, if, you know? if Astros had social media in the nineties, like, would there would there would there have been a fucking St. Louis riot? Would there have been a fucking Montreal riot? Like, yeah. you know, like. Like, hey, like, I love my band. Could someone get fucking Duff and fucking Slash off fucking heroin? You know, like, yeah. it's so weird to think of just, like, how something that little cha- could change a whole course of a band, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely changes the context of it some, you know? I know I've had you for a long while. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, but I guess where can people find you online and what you have coming up? Um, so on Instagram, it's at Scotty Sandwich. Um, that's the best place uh for most of my current involvements um i my main thing right now is uh producing at the sandwich shop which is my home studio um i've been doing tons of that these days um i've been working with lydia lovelace mikey erg um working totally slow um big loser um orphan riot pageant um among uh, not among giants uh bobby zor um just a ton of stuff and then um i'm playing um guitar in uh wolves and wolves and wolves which i think their tag is at wolves x4 on something on everything and then i'm also playing guitar in um this my friend nick's band um nick is a former improv comedian who has never been in a band um, whose lifelong dream is to, was to play a live show and he pl- i was able to get him his first live show a couple weeks ago um and it's it's really fun it's um it's kind of like uh the vandals meet the dwarves without the dwarves um shtick um but like sonically it <laughs> so, sounds like dwarves but without yeah, the, sticks w- yeah with, <laughs> with, without without the dwarves like idea you know it's 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 um he sings a lot about he's like he's a, he's a parent and so a lot of it is um him complaining about being a parent but in a fun way like he lo- like he's an amazing father but a lot of it is him just like joking about being a parent um, and for someone who's never a band, he, like his sense of melody is incredible. <laughs> um, yeah. doing that, um, I said like almost people is, um, on indefinite hiatus. Um, but, um, if, um, uh, but other than that, I think that's about it. Like, you know, there's a, like for me really, like I'm just focusing on producing records. Um, and everyone should write in to, um, the email address that Josh will provide and, uh, convince Josh's band late bloomer to come record with me because i've been trying to record them for like four years now yeah you have yeah I, I i'll make a deal if you, uh, i'll make a deal if you if you can get if you get 50 listeners to email you or you can put up a, a, a petition or something to have uh late bloomer record with me i'll get john Ingdell to come and produce it i'll pay for john Ingdell. Uh, yeah, I'll take you up on that. Right. We'll we'll run a poll. Run a poll. And, if you get, uh, if you get we'll, 50, we'll I'll pay out. for Johnny Nell. Five songs. Yeah, five songs. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Do five songs. I'll engineer. I'll engineer. John Nell produces and me and John mix together. I'll pay for okay, it. Okay, that sounds like a deal. All right. Yeah. You heard it first right here. <laughs> it's official. Like, I've recorded. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Welcome back. 
Okay, you heard him. So if we can get 50 listeners to email us at spinningoutpod at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram or Twitter, then Scotty has promised to pay for John Ignello to produce five songs by my band, Late Bloomer. So again, just 50 listeners, please chime in. Don't let me down. <laughs> Thanks again to Scotty for coming on the pod. Had a great time catching up. Check out the most recent Almost People record and stay tuned for new music by Wolves, 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 and Wolves out in 2023 on AF Records. Okay, next time we're talking with Cat Moss of Scowl about Lana Del Rey. So more on that next week. Check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on Spotify, and leave five stars. It definitely helps. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod, and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.